Welcome to The Medium, a podcast presented by Tommy Media that's all about what's happening in the art and entertainment world. In the season five finale, we talk about film and TV adaptations, go in-depth on Netflix's Shadow and Bone, and catch up on the latest news and releases. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from KUST Campus Radio, a student-operated, non-commercial radio station. KUST provides students and faculty of St. Thomas, a platform dedicated to creative storytelling, diverse viewpoints, and exploring a vast array of audio content. Tune in at any time to KUST at Mixler.com slash KUST hyphen radio. Welcome back to the medium. This is season five finale. I'm Maddie and Kayla is joining me today. Yeah, I'm taking a taking a mic instead of just producing this time. <laughs> I'm happy to have you here, pal. Um, for both you and I, this is our last podcast episode um, of the medium, cold facts, everything. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's bittersweet. Yeah, definitely, definitely I've, bittersweet. It's weird that, you know, five semesters, like this is the medium's fifth season. It's been with you this whole yeah. time. I know, I know. It's weird being like part of the development process of this show. And then Reed and I talked for a couple couple semesters there, Song and I. Um, and then this semester we've had a lot of guest hosts come in. Um, I know, it's just, it's weird, exciting. Glad that I've gotten to be a part of it to see where it goes next. It could be good. But we still get one episode. We get today. And we are going to talk about TV and film adaptations, mostly of books. Um, something that I'm very passionate about. Yes, I think that this <laughs> this topic just makes sense for both of us, I'd say. Um <laughs> both English majors, if that gives you guys a sense of our personalities, <laughs> our interests. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I also, as uh, two people that like to write and enjoy writing, both as like a novel prose book type of thing, but maybe also dabbling in the film world, um, I've thought myself like it would be fun to work on adaptations, uh, taking like a source material and seeing what you can do with it. So up our alley media 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 people I would mm-hmm. say. we're going to talk about kind of the good and the bad uh we'll have some examples of some good adaptations some examples of bad ones later we're going to talk about shadow and bone which just came out but first we can talk about adaptations in general um point blank they're a visual representation of story which i love i love that you can take a story that is simply just text on a page and create a visual experience that's so cool yeah it's really satisfying like I know that when I read a book I'm very visual in my head like I'm really picturing the scenarios and like picturing how like um different characters look different settings look and like just how everything's laid out and so what's really cool about like tv and film adaptations of books is that you get to kind of see that come to life from like what was in your head and now it's on screen well and it's fun to see how others envision it obviously there's a whole team that's developing the visuals of the show or the movie i just want to see like what they come up with and how it differs from what i did or if i'm like oh my god that's exactly what i thought um Mm -hmm. that's a fun development too and so with that it's adaptations are really an opportunity to build on source material 
One complaint you always hear is like, oh, they changed this or it wasn't perfected differently. I used to think that a lot about adaptations, but now I'm like, it's its own thing. It's, a, it's allowed to expand or take a different route. Obviously, if it does that in a poor manner, it's unfortunate. But I don't necessarily mind when adaptations just kind of change things up. Yeah, I agree. I think that like just because something works on the page doesn't mean that it works in like a visual setting. So like changing that to like make it fit works. And also like it kind of like as someone who dabbles in like videography and stuff like it almost is it's like a slight to your own creative work to just take exactly what's been written by someone else and like put that on a page like I feel like you're not doing yourself a favor as a creator um which is why I like really appreciate when people when like directors and stuff work with an author to like Mm. create create the vision of the show together yeah well, and that's especially important when you have first-person narratives or even third-person where it's still, like, from their perspective because you can't necessarily depict all those thought processes or even, like, world-building. You can do narrating, but that's not always, like, clever. So, yeah, you have to work around the very intimate setting that books often have and translate that into something that's both visually intriguing but gets the point across and then even just from a story perspective um adaptations can build on what was there like i we're going to talk about it in a little bit but harry potter a ton of the content had to be taken out but you also get to introduce new things or you can slightly change things depending if that's just so you can fit everything or if you're changing it for the better like i think that's an interesting thing you can kind of not fix what was written, but at least take a new angle on it. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like that's very evident when you take like those like first person narratives um, mm-hmm. that you were talking about, just like, because you can't put on screen what pe- what the characters are thinking, like you can on the page, taking the story and like trying to figure out a way to like make it make sense still. And this is a little bit off topic from that but I always forget how many adaptations there are. Like more often than not, a film is based on some textual piece. Whether that's because there's like not enough original content, I don't know. But I think that also speaks to the power that adaptations have and like the ability to change the original story is you can just, you can do so much with it. And it's such a interesting way to develop film. I would say. I think I, well, I always like movies and I think shows typically have more original content, but I like movies that are original screenplays, original stories. Um, But I also do like seeing stories come to life that we've read. Um, And so I think we should talk about some of our favorites or at least some that are done well. And then we'll get to the bad ones, because that'll be fun. But good ones. I already briefly mentioned Harry Potter. Uh, The negative is that it had to cut out so much content. Those books get really freaking long (laughs) by the end of the series. And there's a lot of characters, a lot of subplot that gets cut. But as a series of movies, if you just look at the eight films, it's a very well done 
set. Oh, yeah. The thing is with the books, like, there's so much content, like you said, and also, like, the world building. Mm. Just so good. (laughs) And so, like, that's a lot to take on Mm -hmm. as, like, a filmmaker. And... Yeah, like trying to pin down like what what are the most important things to include for the plot to still make sense mm-hmm. without like a, completely cutting out like some of these beloved characters and um, still like building this world. Um, it's a lot to take on. And I think that they did a really good job of still like of staying true to like the heart of the story and the heart of the world. I know that like a lot of complaints are that like, oh, they left this and this out. I, I I still think, like, fans are still fans of both. Well, I came to Harry Potter through the movies first. I saw those before I ever read any of the books. And so as a kid, seeing it firsthand, I think, was really cool. Because it, it immerses you in its own way. And I think the fact that people can watch the movies and still get a concrete story, and like you were saying, take the same themes from it, is excellent. Like you can do whatever you want as long as you keep the nature of the story at its core. Um, And I also like with those films, like they knew the amount of attention they would get just from fans, new fans, like people who hadn't read the books, that sort of thing. And I, so I think to a degree they were trying to do a bit of fan service and like make sure that they gave the films the proper respect that the fans wanted. But then they didn't like compromise what they were establishing and setting up for that purpose. Yeah, I think overall Harry Potter is one of the best examples of a film adaptation of a book series. It, like the book series already had like a good following when they decided to make movies out of it. And so I'm just thinking of like all the times that I got super into a book series and then I found out they were making a movie and just being like, why did you do this (laughs) and like they make the first movie and then they can't make the rest (laughs) and it's like why did you even try we'll get to an example of that later on (laughs) the next one i want to bring up is the hunger games movies this is also an example of like huge book following huge popularity let's try our hand at film i actually really like this set of movies i think they're also pretty decent the problem the the first movie is so cringy because I don't think they had a cinematographer. There's not a single stable shot. And part of that is to like, be like, oh, look at this world, how haphazard it is and how uncertain it is. But also when I can't tell what's going on because it's so shaky, I don't know what to do with that. I like the vibe of the first one, like the atmosphere and that sort of thing better than the later three because it does feel more dystopian and a bit more unsettled but the later three movies particularly Catching Fire is an actual masterpiece it's so good there's so much dialogue that is direct from the book I think those four movies are some of the most truthful adaptations in like literally showing scene for scene what happened in the book and like keeping content from the books I mean the last book is split into two so they could do exactly that and like yeah they're kind of long Mockingjay part one doesn't have a ton of action but I actually really like it I think it sets everything up I think it gives a fair representation of like Katniss and her mental health journey and like her experience with trauma like I think I just think they're really well done yeah and I think that's like the Hunger Games series is another 
good example of the world building that they had to take on and Mm -hmm. yeah also just like figuring out how to take this like complex idea of the actual like hunger games themselves and like that competition in the arena and then Mm -hmm. like just the odd world of um what is it called all the rich people where did they live capital the capital (laughs) yeah taking on like that odd culture too and Mm -hmm. i don't know i feel like the hunger games would be would have been like a fun one to like be a part of that adaptation because there's just like so many like fun little aspects of like like the capital but then also like Mm. um the um poor districts like district 12 and um just like these distinct little like cultures within the world Mm -hmm. building would Mm -hmm. be really fun yeah I totally agree I mean and I think like my for the capital, I just think of Effie the whole time. She's such a perfect representation of them. And when you see her in the beginning of the first movie, you're like, what the hell? What who is she? Why does she look like that? Her mannerisms, like that was such a concrete way to just immediately be like, This is the capital. They are so different. This is District 12. Like, that was fantastic. Granted, Elizabeth Banks understood the assignment queen oh yeah she really knew it but i totally agree with you they had like a really good variety of topics and themes and locations that they could like kind of play with then a common adaptation form i guess or source material are like classic novels um you listed a couple jane austen emma pride and prejudice uh louisa may alcott little women a lot of those have been made multiple times I love, because I got really into, like, um, Pride and Prejudice during high school, Mm -hmm. and uh, I just love the Keira Knightley movie so Mm -hmm. much, such a classic, everything about that with, like, the score, and then also being, like, very truthful to the book, and then also, like, the consideration taken into, like, the sets and the costumes, Mm. um, just everything about that just is like oh wow beautiful and I'd I'd say the same thing about Little Women like the the new one that just came out Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've seen the older one that came out in like the 90s like the new one so good I'd say like the same thing with like the costumes and staying true to like the characters and taking this beloved novel and just like bringing it to life (laughs) yeah the thing I really like about both the 2005 Pride and Prejudice and then the 2019 Little Women is like you can tell that it's an older story and it's based obviously in a different time period but it also feels so applicable like they find ways to still intrigue modern audiences like with Little Women specifically yeah I know that they're living in civil war time but the struggles that they have the dreams that they have are so relatable and like personal to them that you can't help but just be like, yeah, I know what they're talking about. Or like, I feel that exact thing. Um, And I just like the ability to try like modernizing things and keeping it relevant because they're very like real emotions and experiences that people have. Yeah, for sure. And I think going along with that too is like, I think they had they had good actors too mm. for both of these and like these actors are are good at like feeling relatable like making mm. these characters like feel relatable and feel more modern even though they are living in um older times um and then i have a couple listed that i either haven't seen or i haven't read 
but I've heard are good. So The Hand Handmaid's Tale, I haven't seen the show or read the book, but I've heard great things. Outlander, same thing. Haven't seen the show or read the book. Lord of the Rings, I've never seen the movies, which seems contradictory to my entire personality that I haven't seen them. Like I love like a Lord of the Rings girl. I love the books. I love them. I just like never saw the movies, which seems so wrong. But I have them on my watch list for the summer, so I will finally get around to them. Okay. Yeah, you'll have to update us all (laughs) on your final thoughts. Yeah. And then The Godfather, which is a classic movie. There's a book. I didn't know that it was based on a book. I don't know if the book is any good. The movie's good. I also didn't know it was based on a book. And then in a similar vein, um, The Shawshank Redemption is based on like a short story or a novella by Stephen King which is also like Stephen King. What? Oh. Since when? <laughs> but yeah, that's also based on a, a story he wrote, and I have not read that, but great movie. But now let's talk about some yikes adaptations. <laughs> some not so great <laughs> Um, The first one I said was The Book Thief. That is one of my favorite books of all time. And the movie was just bad. Not th- Okay, maybe it wasn't a bad movie, but in comparison to the book, bad. They just like missed all the emotional marks that the mm. book had. And I didn't feel the weight because part of the book, what makes it so heavy and so poignant is that it's narrated by death, like the character of death. And obviously there's a lot of death in World War II, but the movie just has a narrator and it, you don't feel that like connection and so it's just kind of another like World War II story. Um, have you read or seen either? Yes. So I have. I've done. I've read and seen both. Um, don't. <laughs> this might be the end of our friendship, and I'm really sorry. Oh no! I must, I must admit, um, I was not a fan of the book. No. <laughs> it was. It's a very unpopular opinion. I know. Um, <laughs> it's okay. We're still friends. Okay, good. <laughs> I agree, though, like, it, what did stick out to me, like, from the book and something that I really appreciated about the book was that it was narrated by death, and I wasn't a fan of how they did, they, like, approached that in the movie. Like, I feel like there were better ways mm-hmm. to handle it, and they just didn't live up to that. Yeah, I often don't say that adaptation shouldn't happen because I do think that there is a way to adapt anything but there was just something so quintessential about the narrator of that book and the point of view of that book that can't come across in a visual medium I think it would have to change the whole tone which is what happened the entire tone of the story changed and for me that just kind of made the connection get lost I would say a decent story but you would have to just entirely eliminate death's presence as a character I would say it just wouldn't be able to be the same like you'd I you'd I feel like you'd have to like introduce death as a character Mm -hmm. instead of just having it be like an unseen narrator I agree the next example is um 
kind of funny. Because, <laughs> like, okay, before we talk about it, this series was, like, pretty well-loved, and there's no reason that it should be hated on as much as it is now, but they kind of did it to themselves. Um, Divergent, <laughs> one of the most popular books after The Hunger Games was Divergent, and part of the problem is that the third book in that series isn't great, but then the films really aren't it. The first movie, like, kind of was solid, a decent adaptation, and then it just fell off the deep end yeah yeah I was I was a big divergent gal with the books um at least until at least until like the third one the third one was a mug (laughs) the first movie it was like okay like that's fine um yeah we'll give you a chance to like keep going yeah but then the second movie (laughs) It was just like, what have you done? (laughs) And like, I'm pretty sure the second book isn't bad. Like, it's a decent sequel or like, yeah, it was okay. And I don't know what happened with the movie. Just, no. The third movie? Well, like, Allegiant was technically supposed to be a part one. Like, again, it was supposed to be that split into two. They didn't even do the second one. No. It was so bad. Yeah, so I bad. remember. I remember like leaving the theater after seeing Alicia, and I was like, "No!" It oh, it's just so upsetting. Part of it for me is the casting. I don't like most of who they cast for the entire cast. <laughs> like, it's not Shay- Shailene Woodley. No, bad. Yeah. I don't mind Theo James. He was just way too old. Yeah. So not not good there. Um, I love Kate Winslet, but she is above this film, so she should not have been in it. Um, Ansel Elgort, give her tank. He was fine just based on everyone else that was there. But like, just I think they were trying to draw people in with the names. Yeah. They were picking and no. Talking about Divergent reminds me of another book series that I was super into that they tried to make um, like a movie and then they tried to make a TV show when the movie didn't work out. Um, City of Bones. Did you ever read that one? I did not. I loved this book series. Oh my gosh, the movie was terrible. And then like a couple years later, they tried to make a TV show. (laughs) This is like the Mortal Instruments, right? Yeah. Okay. And the TV show didn't really work out either. Uh, it like it hurts my heart to see. <laughs> Cause again, it like turns into a meme. Yeah. <laughs> like, I loved this so. Like the first Divergent book, I have such fond memories. Like the first time I read that, I read it in like five hours. Like I was like, oh, this is so good. It just like tore through it. Granted, I was probably like 14. But even so, I'm like, this is great. And then seeing the movie and especially thinking back now, six, seven years later, I'm like, oh. <laughs> um, the next one I have, okay. Percy Jackson. I am going to say right now, I did not read Percy Jackson until last year, which is humorous in itself. But I grew up on the first Percy Jackson movie. And admittedly, as an adaptation, it's bad. It is not the same story as the book. 
but as a film, it gets more hate than it deserves. I love it. Granted, that's my like childhood nostalgia taking over, but I think it's great. I think it's a great film. Not a good adaptation, though. Yeah, I bet. Okay, so I, I don't know if I ever finished the book, but I know I started reading it. Um, and the thing is, I'd seen the movie multiple times before I read the book. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason I stopped reading the book is because I was like, this is the same it. story. <laughs> and I loved the movie. I really loved the movie. And yeah, it's, it's a really good movie. Logan Lerman. King. Like, this is a pen. King. <laughs> I love him. Pierce Brosnan as a centaur. Yes. Hilarious. Yes. To be yeah. fair, the sequel, because they did make Sea of Monsters as an adaptation and a film, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. I don't recommend. But the first one is good. Yeah. The Lotus scene, though, <laughs> in the first week. Casino? <laughs> so good with lady gaga in the background yeah iconic so good and i even really like the end fight scene between percy and luke when they've got like the flying shoes and percy's Uh, like whoosh all this water like it's yeah it's good i i really like it yeah they are making a show version on disney plus or at least that's in the works oh yeah rick Reardon, who wrote the books, he's really involved and like they're going to actually cast 12 year olds. And I think that's going to be a really good adaptation, I would hope, um, and definitely more truthful to the books. And I would I would watch that. Like, I think it would be a fun coming of age show to see. But man, my heart really just lies with Logan Lerman as <laughs> Percy Jackson. All right. And then I'll, I'll hand this last one off to you. I have no expertise. Yeah, so I think the one everyone is waiting for is Twilight. <laughs> um, I feel like a fraud, though. I'll ad- I'll just say a warning. I haven't read the books. <laughs> <laughs> Neither have I. I've only, I've only talked to people who have read the books, and I've seen all the movies multiple times. My Some of my friends got really into Twilight this past semester, and... Um, that just kind of turned into their comfort movies, so naturally it spread to me. And I'd say that yeah, there's a lot of debate about Twilight on, like, people have strong feelings about Twilight. They either love it or they hate it. And for me, the movies themselves are, like, they're cringy, but also, like, kind of good. <laughs> like, so cringy, but also you're like, man, I have to keep watching. This is art. (laughs) (laughs) Probably the thing that people say the most, like, their biggest complaint is about the acting. Mm -hmm. And I'll say it. I don't think the issue is the acting. The issue is that they didn't have characters to work with. Like, (laughs) in the book, Bella has no personality. And, like, as an actor, what do you do when you're given a character that that is just simply blah? (laughs) You Justice do your for best. Kristen Stewart. Kristen Stewart, yeah, she gets a lot of hate. And she did her best with the character that she was given. Like, again, with Robert Pattinson, like, he is a good actor. You see, you watch his other stuff, and you're like, oh, <laughs> this is not the same guy. <laughs> and it's also, but also, he absolutely hated his life when he was filming Twilight. You gotta, you gotta cut him some slack. 
He absolutely did not want to be Edward Cullen. And also, we just have to talk about the baseball scene in Twilight. Iconic. The only thing I know about it, and this is from a TikTok, is some guy does like a bat flip or like a little routine before he gets up to bat. That's the only thing I know. The kick and then the swing. Oh, <laughs> so iconic. I love watching people like remake the scene. It's so funny. And then also like the movies have some fire quotes. One that has been going around a lot on TikTok is the Bella, where the hell have you been, Loka? <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. And I think that part of the intrigue with Twilight in general is just like you grow up hearing about like vampires and werewolves and like you just see the story come to life in that aspect. I still think it's the goofiest thing that they, that the vampires sparkle in the sun. <laughs> like what a meme. How is that real? How did she write that and be like, now this, this is it. This is literature. <laughs> like, just, my, uh, yeah. my only stake in Twilight is that it has some bop soundtracks. I'll listen to the Twilight motion picture official soundtracks, and they're great. I love them. Especially like Christina the Breaking Perry? Dawn. Yes. She Christina went off. Perry? She went hard. Sleeping she at last. The assignment. Yes, she did. Oh my, a thousand years? Oh my lord. So good. So I, I, I can appreciate the movies for that, at least. I'm a big, like, soundtrack score person that really can make or break a story, I think. And I'll watch them just to hear the songs. The Peace Corps is celebrating its 60th anniversary this year. In that time, 33 University of St. Thomas alums have served as Peace Corps volunteers. Could you be next? Learn more about your opportunity to work for the world and connect with a recruiter online at peacecorps.gov. So now we're going to transition into kind of the latest big adaptation, that being Shadow and Bone. It's on Netflix. It came out a few weeks ago. For context, it is depicting the Grishaverse, which originally was a trilogy, the first book being called Shadow and Bone. Um, those follow Alina Starkov as she finds out that she's a Grisha, which is kind of a, it's not magic. They're like really particular that it's not magic, but they have like abilities to work with various elements and materials in the world, summoning them, manipulating them, that sort of thing. But the Grishaverse also has the Six of Crows duology, which centers on different characters in a different country a few years later, not as concerned with Grisha and their powers. It's more focused on like this drug that is, or I guess it is focused on Grisha because this drug can affect their abilities. Either way, they brought them together for this show, which I was concerned about prior to its release because the Six of Crows story and the Shadow and Bone story are very different. Again, different time periods, different themes. Um, so I know that that was a concern. But Kayla and I, we actually watched it together, which is a fun little watch party vibe. 
I don't think it was half bad, even in combining the two stories. No, yeah, I think that this is definitely an example of how to do an adaptation because it was obviously like a hard to take exactly what's on the page here and turn it into a show. Mm-hmm. And so they did a good job of um, figuring out a way to like keep the characters, keep the world without like having things not make sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so like kind of combining things and just, I think that I think that they did a good job and like the story made sense still. Yeah. Even though like it wasn't straight from the book. Right. Well, and so I have read both series. Kaylee, you've only read Six of Crows. Um, mm-hmm. Six of Crows is definitely the better set of books. It's a better story. It's better writing. It's better characterization. But that story cannot exist without Shadow and Bone coming first, even as just like a world building thing. It's nice to have the context of Grisha and the political what have you that's going on in distant countries. Um, You can read Six of Crows and understand it without that original trilogy, but it's nice to have. And so I understand why they wanted to bring both things to life, to kind of grab maybe readers that only read one or the other or fans of both, or even just to have a more layered show I would say but as you said a a good way to show how how an adaptation is done and I'll say that too as someone who's read the original trilogy those books were not original not great in any capacity in fact they probably had more problems than good things and I really enjoyed what they did with that trilogy or at least with the first book specifically. And I think it's helpful that they combined them like for the world building aspect of it and like making it cuz it's like an odd um it's an odd world that you're coming into and to just be like thrown into it without any explanations at all is d- very disorienting. Mm-hmm. And so by combining those two aspects of like, like you get the more like political side of things, like between the different countries going on, that's just helpful to like, kind of like orient yourself in the story and like with the characters and stuff. And I think that they did a good job of like unpacking things through like with each episode, like adding the characters step by step, adding these different settings Mm -hmm. adding all these layers so that you weren't just like overwhelmed right away. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a good um, transition into the first point or first note that I made is just the tone of the show. Shadow and Bone is a lot more serious, whereas Six of Crows, there's a lot more humor to it. It's this ragtag group of kids who banter and make fun of each other and make jokes. Um, it has its serious moments for sure and serious themes, but it, it feels a lot more youthful. Um, so how did they balance that? And I think they did it pretty well. Like the show is actually so funny. There's some really good comedic moments, but then on the flip side, there are some really intense like things you'd expect of a fantasy world. Like randomly, they're like, oh, this person is going to get killed brutally and we're just going to show you. Um, Mm -hmm. So they're not afraid to show that darker side and they want that to be there because that's obviously the main threat. But then they still give you stuff to root for and stuff to enjoy and like laugh about. 
a lot of that comes from the characters, which is nice. And like the crows, the six of crows characters, they're just so chaotic. But they're chaotic in their book, so like I'm glad that they kept that aspect to it. Like before we watched the show, I was like worried with how they'd handle the characters because like they're so well written in Six of Crows and um like there's just it's such a good example of like how to write a realistic character and I was scared that like some of that would be stripped in the show Mm -hmm. but I think that they like were very true to these characters still and I also think that they're taking their time which is something that can be hard to do especially if you're not guaranteed like new seasons or like to be Mm -hmm. renewed um but with the crows specifically there's a lot of backstory to all of them um and they definitely are not showing their hand they're keeping some secrets in the writer's room which i think is good on the shadow and bone side the specifically the characters of alina and mal are way underdeveloped in their trilogy it's a first person pov from alina's perspective and she hardly has a personality in the books i really liked what they did with her character in the show because she has a character like she has a personality and that goes into the next point which is shadow and bone is kind of that cheap chosen one trope she finds out she has powers as a teen and she's destined to save the world and that stays because that's critical for like the plot but they kind of adjusted it a bit they changed alina's whole identity they made her half shoe half ravkin which adds a whole political side like it introduces some of the politics of the world the dynamics between peoples that sort of thing and it gives her it further adds to her want to prove herself and to like find her place in the world and who's that with what is that doing like I don't know it just added a lot more dimension to her and to the world I would say yeah I'd agree with that and even just like more so I'd agree I like I don't know what she was like in the books but I'd agree with like I if you hadn't told me that she was a very flat character in the books I wouldn't have I wouldn't have known because I think they did a good job with the show yeah and also with the characters it seems that they aged all of them up in both Six of Crows and Shadow and Bone they're between the ages of 14 and 18 all of the actors are definitely above 20 and I don't think they tried to hide that um and I kind of like that they're aged up it gets rid of that, I don't know, typical YA teen vibe. But then it, the show still feels like a YA, like a young adult show. Mm-hmm. But I think that's okay. I don't, it's not trying to pretend like it's Game of Thrones, but it's still serious enough, I think. But one, one note that I want to make about Alina and the path she takes in the story. So she's, as she discovers her power, and goes to the little palace and like starts training. She gets really close with General Kirgan, who you find out is actually this immortal dude. And he's not inherently evil, but his tactics aren't great. And he's the villain of the story. Um, what makes him compelling is he fully believes in what he's doing. And at, his, at the core, it's like a good goal. But the way he goes about it is not great and so alina ends up they're kind of paired up as equals of opposite power 
but now they're also opposites in this fight. They kind of want the same goal, but again, different avenues of doing it, yada, yada, yada. So as I was saying, Alina like grows in her power and she grows in her relationship with Kirigan. And naturally in these stories that turns a bit into a romance plot between them. And I don't like how it ended up because the whole point of her coming into her power was her finally being able to be like, no, this is who I am and I'm making decisions on my own. And part of those decisions was pursuing a romantic relationship with Kerrigan. And it was adorable. Obviously he's a problem. Um, but then when, she, when it was revealed to her that he's a bad guy, to me, it made it seem like she was then bad for seeking a relationship with him. And part of what makes his character so scary is that he's manipulative and performative. And like, I don't know, it just seemed like they were, they ended up accusing or at least degrading all of the growth and progress she had had. Like, oh, you were naive and unaware of his intentions. So you should never have gone for what you wanted even though she had no indication otherwise that she shouldn't have done that. Yeah, I'd just say, like, as, again, as someone who hasn't read the books, I didn't really, like, I didn't catch on to him being bad. Mm -hmm. And so I think that just proves, like, how she shouldn't be really written off as just, like, naive Mm -hmm. because his character is manipulative and... Mm -hmm. Like, he was hiding stuff, and yeah, that's that's who he is. (laughs) Like, did she trust the wrong person? Yeah, absolutely. But that's part of growth and part of her learning. And I just Mm -hmm. feel like part of it was framed in that she was wrong for doing so. Like, wrong choice, maybe, but her development didn't need to be written off as wrong either, if that makes sense. Like, it was better that she was making conscious decisions than just, like, going along with whatever. But let's talk about the crows. So for Six of Crows, as I mentioned earlier, their plot actually takes place, like, three to five years after the events of Shadow and Bone, like, the last book of Shadow and Bone. But they wanted to include them, and they couldn't necessarily match up the timelines of the books, so instead they included a lot of prequel stuff so everything that Kaz, Inej, and Jesper were doing is not from the books that's all new we do get to see Nina and Matthias there or Matthias however you want to say it we see their prequel story which was actually written in the books but everything else was new Kayla what are your thoughts on that so I really liked that they included them in the show I think it's like I know you talked about how it was weird to see like um, the two different characters from the books interact and stuff. I thought it was I thought it was really fun to like include them in this and again like seeing them in because Six of Crows takes place mostly in Ketterdam. They don't really explore outside of that, and so getting more of a sense of like the fullness of the world and like seeing them interact in like the world and then also seeing like how they still stay true to their character in these different situations that like weren't included in the book um was very satisfying and it was like wow they just feel even more real yeah I definitely am looking forward to seeing more of Ketterdam it's such a 
I don't know, lively city in all of its debauchery. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, the Crows kind of stole the show. To be fair, I was partial to them before anyway, but they just seemed like it was so fun to watch them. And maybe that is because it was new content. And like, I cannot get over seeing Kirigan and Kaz square off or seeing Inej throw a knife at Kirigan. Like I was Mm -hmm. busting. And especially like the Inej and Alina relationship was huge. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Like that was just so crazy seeing them together. But I like what we got. And I think because something I guess in the book that didn't come off as much for me or like wasn't fully developed for me was Anej's faith. It was really cool to like see that played out in a fuller way, I'd mm-hmm. say, in her interactions with Alina and like, yeah, just leading up to, to all that as well. And I like how I mentioned earlier that they were kind of keeping secrets about the crows the writers, um, but they also alluded to a lot. So like you were saying with Inej's Faith, the relationship she has with that compared to relationship that Kaz has with Faith, religion, and that he doesn't have one, but he obviously cares about her, she cares about him, how does that interact? Um, They did some really good foreshadowing and like building for Kaz's ultimate motivation with Pekka Rollins. Uh, you know he has a problem with him. There was some like really, really subtle dialogue moments in their one interaction that are just gonna, like it's going to pay off so much in a few seasons when we like get the culmination of that. And even like there was some foreshadowing for Jesper and what his identity actually is. And that's really gonna pay off. So I like that they could really just establish these building blocks for them. I do have some worries though, or maybe not worries, but just questions. The first one is since they aged up all the characters, in the book Kaz is 17, so he's just a lieutenant of the gang that he's in. He's not the leader of the gang. Pierre Haskell, he's this like 50, 60 year old guy and he doesn't really do much. Like Kaz like unofficially runs everything but Pierre Haskell is who he has to answer to ultimately. In the show, Pierre Haskell didn't exist. And I don't know if that's because we just weren't in Ketterdam long enough to see him or if they eliminated his character and Kaz is the tried and true leader of the dregs. And I'm a little concerned if the latter is the case, if they get rid of Haskell for two reasons. One, Inej, was, I don't know, is owned the right word by the menagerie, which is kind of like a brothel of sorts, basically. She was Mm -hmm. put there against her own will. And so Kaz had, in the book, Pierre Haskell buy out her contract there and just have an indenture for her with the dregs. And her whole thing is that she's working for her free, like to get out of that and to pay it off and to get her freedom. But it's very critical to their relationship that it's not Kaz who owns that contract. It's Pierre Haskell that owns it. And in the show, they talk about it a little bit of how like Kaz doesn't have ownership over over her. But I just feel like it's weird if he still is the one that has her contract now. I I don't know what to make of that. Yeah, I'm also 
I'm also confused with where exactly they're going mm-hmm. with that one. And I'm hoping that it's just like another one of those secrets that they're kind of holding on to yet. Yeah, I don't know. And because, I mean, it's definitely meaningful in the show that they had Kaz, like, risk the Crow Club for Inej, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe that's meant to offset this weird contract ownership thing that they might have accidentally or purposefully written in. But I would like to see how that develops. Two, there is a scene at the end of Crooked Kingdom, which is the second Six of Crows book, without getting super spoilery where Kaz has to kind of like win the dregs back like win them as his gang and prove himself as the rightful leader even though he was only lieutenant and it is a quintessential part of that scene that Haskell is there and he's like this is my gang I'm the leader and Kaz is like you haven't done anything for years like everyone knows it's really mine granted this scene would be seasons down the road for the show but it is such a pivotal moment for him as a character and for their gang. And I don't know how they're going to do that if Pierre Haskell isn't even there. And I want to see that scene. Selfishly, I just want to see the scene where he goes into the slat. But, I, yeah, I don't know. And I don't want to, like, make any rash assumptions or judgments of, like, what they plan for the Crows. Like, I want them to adapt it, and it's not going to be perfect, but I don't know. I just, I don't want them to, like, change these characters' motivations at all. That that's where I'd have an issue with it. It's like if they change like the motivations or like change the characters themselves at all. Mm-hmm. So that would concern. And then the next point, which is part praise, part concern, part questionable, is just the representation that they include in the show, um, and how that relates to the characters' identities and also the world building. So it seemed like Shadow and Bone as a source is not very diverse. It was not heralded for that. If anything, it's questioned because of that. And I think they tried really hard to diversify that content of the show. Like they changed Alina's racial identity, which I think is good. Sometimes I feel like it can get tiresome for minorities to still see minorities being judged and like she she still is criticized in the show for who she is and I feel like that doesn't always have to exist in fantasy like we can show her as a POC character and that's fine granted it's built into the world that the Shuhan are like kind of rivals with Ravka so I understand it in this case I don't know I just feel like it shouldn't have to be an automatic that POC characters are still like just discriminized against yeah it's definitely one of those like overused storylines I guess of like oh (laughs) wow a POC character who has to overcome racism again (laughs) right like it's a fantasy world you don't have to include that in your fantasy world so hopefully for other shows and other stories that that stops being like the automatic thing and but then on the good side for like queer identities they have those identities just like in the show and they're not facing discrimination or anything it's just that's who they are cool Mm -hmm. my one concern with jesper is in the books he is 
bisexual and not just gay. Whereas in the show, they only have him interact. Granted, he flirts with everyone, mm-hmm. um, but he's just kind of a charming, charismatic, flirty guy. But they only have him interact in a romantic sense with another guy. And that's cool. Like, as it worked, it was a funny scene, adorable. Um, but I don't want them to erase his identity as being bi. So like, I'm glad that they included what they did, but also still represent him correctly. Mm-hmm. Because there are other like characters that will come in later that are just gay or other types of queer identities, but still like cover everyone, especially when they're written to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't just like put them in a box. <laughs> right. right, and away. especially because there's so much bi erasure in media and like that's still one of the least understood queer identities I think Mm -hmm. and so to have Jesper who's such like a lovable likable character to be openly bi and for them to like represent him as such would be really cool yeah I also could understand like maybe the concern is that like he flirts with everyone so like he or like I don't know like he's bi so like all bi people flirt with someone or, like, right. flirt with everyone, and they're just, like, this flirty personality, mm-hmm. and so, like, I could get, like, that concern, but also, like, you really should not, he erases identity mm-hmm. either. Yeah, that's definitely, a like, kind of a, line, a hard line to walk with his character. I don't know. Well, it'll be interesting when his love interest comes into the show, mm-hmm. um, how they approach that, I would say. And I do want to mention, so there was some really good representation for all different types of identities, but recently it came out that Inej's stunt double was a white stunt double who was in brown face for her parts, which is appalling. Like that, are you kidding? Really? And Inej's stunts were mostly like doing aerial silks and like some fight scenes everyone was just like, are you serious? You you took so much care and attention in casting Amida Suman as Inej and finding like the proper person for that identity. And then you do that with the stunt double? And Lee Bardugo, I think a day or two ago, had, had like a little live event on Instagram and was like apologizing profusely for it. She did say like she wasn't there on the days the stunt double was she wasn't part of the casting of the stunt double because it's different from like how they cast actors but also as an executive producer she was like that is it's my job to help take care of the actors and to make sure that the project is fair and correct and like Mm -hmm. avoiding that kind of thing and i know that diversity is important to her that's like one of her main motivations with six of crows was showing people as they are and so she at least addressed it, which is good. But I hope that there's kind of a more official statement, either from Netflix or the people in charge and how that got through. I don't know. Very, very mad about that. Yeah, no. And especially when it's just very hypocritical, I guess, to like yeah. take all this care with everything else and then to be like, oh, well, we'll just put this white girl in brown face. <laughs> And they were very, they were promoting their on-screen diversity. And I definitely think that the show is a step forward for on-screen diversity, but it just really shows 
all the work that needs to be done behind the scenes, whether mm -hmm. that's in the writer's room, on production, stunt doubles, whatever it is. Like there's so much room for growth. We're starting to see results in the actual stories, but we need so much help in every part of the industry. So to kind of wrap up our conversation on Shadow and Bone, we're just gonna talk about how it sets up for future seasons and like what's left in the books to be covered, what's left of the world. First thing, future characters are coming in. From Shadow and Bone, we're gonna get Nikolai Lansoff, the privateer himself. So excited. He's such a fun character. He's honestly the best character from the original trilogy. Really, I really hope they pick like a good actor for him because he has to be so charismatic and fun, but smart. And he also has a lot of like internal strife that he has to go through. So very excited for that. And then from the Six of Crows books, we're gonna meet Wylan Van Eck, little Mr. Sunshine. Oh my mm -hmm. God. That's gonna be huge. I'm so excited to see him. I'm so excited for Wylan. <laughs> he'll just really complete, he'll be number six of the Crows. He's the only one we're waiting on. And he's definitely important to the plot, but even so, I just, I want to see him. I think it'll be great. Then setting up for the Crows book plot line, they're like the first book is a heist they go to the ice court in fierda and they have to essentially kidnap this guy who everyone wants and the interesting thing is the prize for him in the book is 30 million kruga which is the money in ketterdam which is great but i think it's interesting that in the first season of the show the price put on alina's head was only 1 million 1 million and 30 million are vastly different. And I know a lot of people were worried about that. They're like, only putting a million on Alina? Like, does that devalue the crows and their, and their heist and stuff? I argue that it's okay. And that it doesn't downplay the ice court heist for a few reasons. One is when Alina was found as the sun summoner, people weren't sure if it was true you're like, oh, somehow it could have been faked. Like, we don't know if this is her. It's kind of questionable. Um, and then the second reason, because of one, is they wanted to kind of keep that on the down low, especially if it was really true. Because if everyone finds out that the Sun Summoner is real, it like all hell is going to break loose. So a low key reward of only 1 million, I say that like it's low, that's still a ton of money. But either way, keeping it low key would keep her identity under wraps and the importance of her under wraps. And the second thing about the 1 million, 30 million difference, Alina is one person, and granted she's really important to destroying the fold, but she has her direct purpose. The reason that the ice court heist is so important is that is going to leak the recipe for a drug that could enhance every single Grisha's ability, and that's arguably way more dangerous than just Alina. Um, granted, she has a lot of power just through her image, but I think it's way more threatening to have this drug be released and then all Grisha being at the power that Alina has naturally. So to me, it makes sense that there would still be a 30 million Kruga offer. Yeah, I'd agree with that too. Like when, because with the drug, it's like, it's continuous and like could outlive the guy that they got to get, so... Mm -hmm. It makes sense that 
it would be higher for him. And then other than that, I don't really know how they're going to keep Shadow and Bone and Six of Crows connected. It's weird that Alina and the Crows have met. Um, I don't know if they're going to try to keep them interacting. But the Crows are headed back to Ketterdam. Alina and Mal are off to sea. I don't know. I guess we'll see how they keep the two plot lines going. But I'm excited for it, nonetheless, if we get a season two. So now we'll just do a couple bits of latest news. Last ones for the season, for the semester. Mm -hmm. um, A24 released, or kind of re-released, their trailer for The Green Knight, starring Dev Patel. And it's an, an, an adaptation, in fact, from Sir Gawain and The Green Knight, this really ancient, old, epic poem kind of vibe. It was initially released in June 2020 for a brief time, I think in Russia, or like internationally. Um, but now they're doing a more official release since theaters are opening up again. And it looks so good. So good. I'm so excited. Um, it's rated R, so hopefully they, that allows them to really dig into this medieval night fantasy vibe. Um, but I think it's going to be great. Then uh, Ellen DeGeneres is going to end her show next year in 2020 after its 19th season. She said the reason for this is she no longer feels challenged creative, creatively and wants to explore new paths. Okay, cool, fine. But fair enough. Fair enough. But then there was also some like recent news that previous workers came out with saying that her work environment was really toxic, like the behind the scenes production side. And I guess in this interview where Ellen said that the show was ending, she was like, that's not the reason it was ending. If it was the reason I would have ended the show immediately. But definitely the pressure of that has added to the decision I guess, like it's just made everything harder and COVID has made everything harder. So I don't really know, like, I'm not gonna say that Ellen's a liar, that, no, like, say what you want. I just think it's convenient timing <laughs> with everything. Yeah, and even if it's like not, even if it's not true that like it was a toxic environment, like I'm sure that like she's lost a lot of viewers mm. because of it too, because of the rumors along with COVID and stuff. Mm -hmm. So probably her time to dip. She's yeah. been doing it for so long. Like it mm -hmm. shouldn't come as like a huge surprise to anyone that she's ending her show. I think it's just interesting that after this amount of time, like that that kind of news would come out. But also like that is, it's more acceptable and expected to like speak out when your work environment is poor and not safe or like healthy. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, definitely interesting. And then just to follow up, last episode or maybe two episodes ago, we mentioned how the Falcon and the Winter Soldier show had ended and that Loki was going to be starting. But since then, Marvel has released kind of just a huge lineup of content. I don't know if this is just their phase four or like into phase five, but it's a lot of movies, a lot of shows, some Disney Plus stuff, some theater stuff. So I thought we'd just mention a few of them. Like for 2021 the determine like that have actual release dates is insane the stuff they have coming out so the black widow movie is finally happening um loki the show is finally happening shang chi and the legend of the ten rings is another movie that's coming out um eternals that's toward the end of the year spider-man no way home is probably going to be the last big movie of the year for them like that's a lot it's a lot of new Content, a lot of characters. Content. Yeah. 
Spider-Man's um, continued, but I don't know. That's just crazy how much they're churning out. Mm-hmm. Considering they already had WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier this year. And, like, did well, too. <laughs> right. Which, I mean, I guess if you do have the viewership and it's getting views and profit and whatever, go for it. Ah, it's, just, it's just so much. It's crazy to me, like, because they, my entire life, basically, there's been, it's been Marvel, you know, like, that's yeah. just been such a huge factor in, like, the media I consume, mm-hmm. and it's crazy that, like, it's still going, like, these plot lines that started when, like, I was, like, seven or eight mm-hmm. <laughs> are mm-hmm. still going, and it's also crazy that, like, they have, like, they still have momentum, like, they're still people watching their stuff like i thought there was going to be a severe drop off after endgame either in viewership or just like their production like they were like oh let's take a break but i really think they embraced the hype of infinity war and endgame and they're like Mm -hmm. let's keep trucking and see how far we can take this and Mm -hmm. like in a way it's kind of exciting to see the breadth that they're achieving like the amount of stuff Mm-hmm. but I also don't watch any of it so I can't tell if it's like too much or like really the quality of it I don't know but it's just so much yeah it is a lot and I'll admit like as like in high school and middle school I was super into it and then like since college like they've just had so much that I'm like well this is so much to keep track of like mm-hmm. and like their big thing is like the easter eggs and the foreshadowing and it's like I feel like out of the know when I don't have the mental energy to like look up what all these things mean I'll probably watch like the Spider-Man and I'll watch the Loki the show about Loki because mm-hmm. he's my king <laughs> my <Yeah>. king <laughs> but like I, I didn't watch WandaVision mm-hmm. I didn't watch um Falcon and the Winter Soldier I think there's like a really cool quality to all of them being connected. My issue with it is, and obviously they're not meant for me, like I'm, I'm not a fan, I just don't watch them, but you can't jump in. Like I saw the first two Avengers and then I watched Civil War and then went to see Infinity War. And I was confused out of my mind because I had no idea who the Guardians were. I had no idea why Thor was like separate. Like there was so much that I missed And obviously, it was all part of the same plot, but in my mind, specifically, like, the four Avengers movies, you should be able to watch no problem, because it's Mm -hmm. a series of four, technically. And the fact that I couldn't do that, I was like, I I have no interest in these other ones. I wanted to see the Avengers ones, and I had no idea what was happening. But again, that's probably more my fault than anything. Yeah, I don't like that it's kind of this all or nothing. Yeah, I don't like I don't like that too because it's like, okay, well, I can't just go see this movie. I have to see these movies first mm-hmm. so that I know what's going on in this movie. Yeah, it's a lot, but I'm sure for fans that do have the time and the desire to and like enjoy all of the characters, I'm sure it's quite the payoff. So what so what I'm hearing is you haven't seen Ant-Man? No. With my, with, with my Paul beloved Rudd. Paul Rudd. 
Honestly, that's probably one that I would watch because I think he's great. I have learned, I don't know, does he have powers or is it his suit that has powers? His suit. Okay, because I have learned that my favorite characters are just the people that like inherently can't do much. So like him, his suit, Captain America is just really good at punching people. Black Widow is just really good at punching people. Bucky Barnes is just really good at punching people. Like, I like all of mm-hmm. them. I don't like Thor. I don't like the Hulk. Hawkeye is hilarious because he just has a bow and arrow. I think that's great. Granted, I think, like, Doctor Strange and his magic is really cool, but mm-hmm. I really just like the people who are like, I'll just fight, fight, fight. Yeah. <laughs> it, seems, it seems cute to me. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll watch Ant-Man. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> He's getting a third movie. That that was announced, so that's exciting. Yeah. You know where I'll be. You know where. <laughs> that's excellent. I don't even need to know what's going on. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm <laughs> pretty sure that's one. <laughs> I think that'll be one where you'll have to have seen, like, Endgame and stuff, and I can't do it too much. Well, that's all the latest news we have. Kayla, thank you so much for joining me for this finale episode for our personal finales with podcasting at Tommy Media. It's been a blast working with you and getting to host this show and rant about things that I care about. Yeah, it's been so good being able to produce for you, even like guesting a few times. The Medium is such a fun show. And I look forward to where it goes in future semesters. Me too. So everyone, keep tuning in to the Medium and other Tommy Media podcasts. They're not going anywhere. Thank you, and we'll see you next season. Bye.